the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In life, there are smaller moments of truth and much bigger moments of truth. A moment of truth is when you cannot fake it. The amount of training and preparation will indeed show. There's no hiding for cover. It might be something smaller, like when I do a plumbing project and then I have to turn the water back on to see how much I messed it up. It might be something bigger, like a licensing exam for somebody's profession. Or perhaps the, the, the key game of a, of a sports season. Or it might be some, something might, much bigger than that. A soldier facing live combat and live enemy fire for the first time. Or a general committing to a strategy that might mean survival and winning the war. Or might mean loss of the war, maybe loss of their own country. The biggest moment of truth, and is the moment that everyone will have, is the moment when one stands before the throne of God. The judgment is by God's standards alone and his alone. No faking it, no making it up. There's no playing games with the Lord. Eternal judgment is not a game of, of speculation. It's the ultimate moment of truth. Listen again to the question asked to Jesus. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Sadly, most Jews who heard Jesus rejected him as the promised Christ. In our lesson, the person asking the question is not asking Jesus for salvation because their own utter sense of lostness. Rather, it's a question of speculation. And Jesus turns that question back to a brutal warning. To, to him and to other Jews around there, he is saying, you can talk about your following the Torah all you want. You can talk about your piety versus other Jews who compromise with pagan values all you want. You can claim that you want a Messiah, a Christ all you want, but here's the truth. You are lost because you're not repentant before God and you're not believing in me as your one true Messiah, the Lord. Jesus is being quite clearly clear here and clear elsewhere. Salvation is not because of you or your piety or claiming to follow God if you're not believing in him as the true Christ. If you're not believing in him, you're not trusting God for your salvation. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, people played games with him or rejected him outright. Either way, his eternal judgment is clear as they are rejecting the one true Christ who had come, indeed, for the very purpose of saving them. Therefore, they are damned. You cannot play games with Jesus. And you still can't. You cannot fool the Lord. God is still God, and there's no playing games with him. 
The Bible is clear about those who reject the one true God and Jesus being the only way of salvation. Jesus, the Son of God, says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 says this to those who reject Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is clear about those who reject Jesus as the Savior. But I doubt very much at Bethany Lutheran Church this morning that I'm speaking to a group of those who doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But you all will face the moment of truth before God. To you I say this, there are other ways of playing games with God and turning away from him. One is to ignore or bend God's unchangeable commandments. Over and over again, scripture is clear about sexual morality, the holiness of marriage as God instituted it, the sanctity of human life from conception to death, and the placing of anyone or anything ahead of the Lord and the worship of him. Yet there is the real danger of you being shaped by our self-centered, man-centered, feeling-based culture, ignoring the true nature of your sin. Therefore, it's easy to minimize your own sin and maximize the sin of those out there, and thereby not understand your offense before the Almighty and Holy God, who knows your every deed, your every word, your every thought. To play games with one's own sinfulness or to justify it in some way will condemn you. Likewise, you cannot play games with God by confusing faith in Christ with a checklist of participating in church events, as if the participation in church events has merit before God. Rather, these might be good for the Christian to practice. However, they are not saving. Works cannot save, and so therefore a checklist of things you might or might not have participated in has no basis of merit before God. On the last day, a person will not be able to say to the Lord, Lord, was I not confirmed? Did I not get married in the church? Did I not attend Sunday school? Did I not go to a Lutheran school? Did I not give offerings to the church? Did I not volunteer at church? None of these things save. The fact that a person attended a church or had their name on a roster will not mean God considers them as his people. One's works cannot save. You cannot play games with God. There's only one God, and he's almighty and holy. You don't play games with God because he did not play games with you. This morning you heard the very heavy warning from Jesus because he was speaking to people, to this one Jew and then a group of Jews around him who did not consider Jesus to be the Christ. He speaks this warning because he cares for them. His desire was that all would repent of their apathy towards sin or any unbelief in him. Because he indeed is the promised Christ, the one who dies for sinners. And that is, that is his mission, to die and to rise again for the sake of the lost. He is the Savior. And his salvation is a marvelous salvation, not an isolated salvation. Our text will continue in verse 29. And people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. 
In this context, Jesus is rejecting Jews who reject him and, to, and, and instead are clinging to their own Torah and not to the true Christ. They wanted to define what is God's people, not let Jesus define. But Jesus would define who are part of God's people. It's all those who are in him. And they come from all corners of the globe. Our gospel lesson is from Luke, and Luke writes the book of Acts. In Acts, Christ's salvation indeed does come to Jews. 3,000 Jews are baptized on Pentecost. The church grows to 5,000 Jews. Doesn't stop there. Samaritans are saved. Pagan polytheists are saved. And by the end of Acts, the gospel was spread as far as Rome itself. And that gospel didn't stop there. Forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, Jesus, are yours this very day. I haven't taken attendance at Bethany today, so I don't know exactly who is here and who's not. But I know that on any given Sunday here at Bethany, there are those that Christ's salvation has come to who were born in Chicago or suburbs of Chicago. Christ's salvation has come to those who are born in other parts of the Midwest, to those born and raised in other parts of the United States. Christ's salvation, and we have those who are from other parts of North America and, and Central America and South America, to those born in Asia or Africa, those born in Europe. Right here in Bethlehem on a given Sunday, we have people from all over the world that God's word of salvation is extended to. Christ didn't play games. He gives his salvation freely, freely to all. It is a generous salvation. And it's a generous salvation, especially when you consider in the book of Luke how generous and kind Jesus is. He is the eternal Son of God who made heavens and the earth. He loves his creation so much that he willingly is born of the Virgin Mary and is laid in, in a manger in a stable. He loves his creation so much that he hides his glory and he serves in Galilee. He loves all so much that he knows where he's going on his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. He knows the brutal nails. He knows the beatings. He knows the whipping. He knows the burden of sin that he takes upon himself on the cross. He knows that there will be the glory of the resurrection and the glory of the ascension. And he loves you and me so much that he commissioned apostles to preach his word. And those apostles preached that word and baptized in his name. He loves you and me so much that he gave his precious body and blood in the Lord's Supper. And we see prominent in the book of Acts the breaking of bread, this Lord's Supper among his church from the first day until now. My brothers and sisters, God doesn't play games. He's so very generous. He didn't play games with me. Today's a very special day. It's my baptismal birthday. This little boy who'd been a preemie in the hospital, my parents took me out of the hospital, contacted um, the pastor, and I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now his name is upon me, and he never took it away. His name is always upon me, and he feeds me with his supper. He made me his own, and to him be all glory and honor and praise. Jesus does not play games with you. He knows the promises that he makes to you. He knows what he has done for you. He knows that you are his in the waters of your baptism. He knows that he will come to you in this holy supper that we, that we share right now. He knows that you are his, and he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. 
because of Christ then, the moment of truth really is right now. You are Christ and you are free in his name. Amen.